0: Happy New Year! Welcome back to the Heron Outlet. We are so excited that you are with us. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Wenley. I am Ian Hest. And uh, guys, it's good to see you all again. It, it really uh, brings a, a, a warmth and a smile to my face to see my, my colleagues, my friends again as we prepare for a 2022 uh, MLS season, a 2022 Inter-Miami season. Uh, And and a lot has happened in our sort of winter break. The transfer window is open. There are players coming. There are players going. We're going to spend a lot of time on that in this episode. Let's start with the big one. One of uh, Inter-Miami's three designated players, Rodolfo Pizarro, with rumors going back to Mexico, and uh, Monterey with a loan. He has one year left on his contract and an option to buy at the end. So. Uh, Alex, I'm going to throw the first question to you. I, I guess I don't even know if this is a question, but let's just get started with what we know and what we don't know at this point.
1: So, right. Rodolfo, he's on his way back to Mexico. He had his medical earlier today. The move should get announced uh, either today or tomorrow. Um, it is a loan with an option to buy. Montre will be covering his salary. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a move that... Miami needed to make, you know, we all saw at the end of last season uh, just the drama between him and and Higuain. and so it was it was pretty inevitable that one of the three DPS were going to leave. And since Pizarro's younger, he has a higher upside. He he was the one who was the odd man out. So, um, it's a good deal for Miami. It's a good deal for Pizarro. He wants to get back into the national uh, Mexican national team fold before the World Cup. Uh, later this year. Um, So that will give him a chance to, you know, get in front of, you know, Tata Martino and and his staff and his and their eyes to uh, to see whether or not he's, you know, I guess, worthy enough to get back into that national team fold. He'll be playing in Mexico. So there's going to be plenty of eyes on him. Uh, As for Inter-Miami, that should open a DP spot. You know, you loan out a DP. The rules do say that uh, technically a DP spot is supposed to open. Uh, it remains to be seen if Inter Miami will bring another DP. They could very well just wait until uh, next season, where they'll have, uh, I believe, three open DP spots. Maybe two. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a good deal all around. It's a, a safe bet. You know, there's a lot of loans with uh, options to buy going around because of COVID and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's a good deal done by Chris Henderson, and it was uh, something that Inter Miami needed to get done. And um, yeah, it'll give them cap flexibility, roster flexibility going into. Uh, these first-year sanctions.
2: I, I think we we all knew it was coming at some point. Uh, it, it was it was a move waiting to happen, and you could have said that it was a move that was meant to happen even before just this transfer window. It's just been a long time coming for Pizarro. It, it was a failed experiment, which is unfortunate because when Pizarro first came to Miami before Higuain was here and any other big names were here, it was a uh, it was going to be the Pizarro Alonso show. They were supposed to, you know, make that magic that they had with the CONCACAF Champions League in Monterrey. Now, Pizarro's style just didn't translate here. The system never translated here. And uh, he'll be going back to Mexico, like Alex mentioned, trying to get back into that Mexican national team squad as a uh, frequent player. Uh, as you know, there's been a couple times where he's been in the squad, not in the squad, depending on the camps. And I think he's going to want to be in that squad come uh, early, early December, late November of this of this season of this year, actually, it's 2022. Happy new year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a good move for him. Uh, it's unfortunate it didn't work out at Miami, but I, I think that for Pizarro, it's a good move for Miami. It's a good move because like you said, Alex, you know, that, that DP slot has, has opened up if he's, which he won't probably come back. And if that's open for the next couple of seasons, even with the sanctions, it doesn't really matter because DP money doesn't work with what the sanctions are doing. Um, so now Miami can explore different options, find maybe a true creator, uh, at the top of the midfield to, to, bolster that attack, something that they've lacked since their inception. Uh, and you know, good luck to Pizarro, good luck at Monterey and he won't, he'll have to do it without Diego Alonso. So we'll see how that goes, but uh I, I wish him the best of luck. I know that things didn't turn out the way they should have here. Uh and it got a little nasty towards the end with all this like tweets and everything. Uh, but listen, it's it was a failed experiment, and if the club can move on in this simple manner, then that would be the best thing for all parties.
0: So let's talk about that. You say, Austin, a failed experiment, and I I go back to like early 2020, which feels like an entire lifetime ago. Uh, you know, this is pre-pandemic now, and he scores in the LAFC game, and and uh, or, or or DC DC. DC. DC yep. um, uh, sorry, and and then the world you know comes to a halt, and everything changes. Um, it, it, is it fair to say a failed experiment? Because I I look at this guy as the first one. And we're going to get to Lewis Morgan in a sec, who really, I mean, started every single match in the club's history. So I I, I got sort of some flack for calling him the heart and soul um, of, of the club. But I think that that's a, a, a fair uh, description of him. But Pizarro was the first real guy. And And so, when we say failed experiment, I mean, he did last two years. I don't know if necessarily it's a failed experiment. And there are MLS clubs that don't fill all 3DP spots. So I guess my question is in two parts. First, is is it, do you see it as very much a failed experiment? Which I don't know if I would necessarily agree with. I just don't think that it necessarily, prolongated as long as they would have hoped. He only had one year left on his deal. But secondly, do you even bother filling out that third designated player role, that designated player spot, given the sanctions?
2: Yeah, I I would say it's not necessarily just a failed experiment on Rodolfo Pizarro's you know, just Rodolfo Pizarro. It was a failed experiment. The 2020 team was a failed experiment. Diego Alonso was a failed experiment. Pizarro was a failed experiment. All that even though they made the playoffs. Right. That is true. And they but they just didn't get to extend they didn't or they, they chose not to extend Alonso past that. And we know what happened with the front office in that time. And I think that a lot of that just falls on Pizarro because he's he's the last one really remaining of the high profile names, whether it's front office head coach or players. Pizarro is the one last standing guy and when you move into this new regime that we had in 2021. He was the guy that, you know, just couldn't ever bring it together. He was benched. Uh, He had, you know, there was the rumors about the locker room stuff and everything like that. And his, his play wasn't always good. Although he somehow was named an MLS all-star the first in Miami's history. Um, It's, I don't think it's a failed experiment just on Pizarro. It's just how he was brought in with everything he was brought in. That was all supposed to work together. That culmination of front office and head coach and player, star player, was all supposed to work together. They were going to get him a star number nine up top, everything like that. But then towards the end, it just it didn't work. So that's what I would say. And as for filling in the DP spot, I mean... Look, I, I think Miami wants to be competitive, and it's not that every team that fills out all three DP DP spots are competitive, right? There, there's not that doesn't always happen in MLS. You don't have to fill out all their all your DP spots to be competitive in MLS. However, I think Miami does need that because at the moment, I don't think they've ever, since their inception, they have not had the depth to put out quality starting 11s time and time and time again. And I think that they are going to need some star player, whether it's a whether it's a number ten, whether it's another striker, because we don't know really what's going on with Higuain in terms of a consistent goal scorer and playmaker, too. Um, especially without his brother going to be on the team after he retired, I think that you do need to bring somebody in that's going to to make some magic down here in Miami.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, last year we saw Higuain play his best with. Uh, Federico, partly because he's his brother, but also because Federico is more of a creative type of uh, central midfielder that uh, could, you know, play those through balls and and play those passes to uh, number nine like Iguain. So, I'm um, looking at Miami's roster now. They don't n- they don't necessarily have that that X factor yet. And you know, maybe bringing in another DP. Um, there have been some rumors about other players coming in, but you know, like the transfer market is very fluid and you know, deals collapse and whatnot. But I do think that if Inter Miami still want to be competitive, they're going to need to bring in either within the league or from outside uh, an X factor at that number 10 spot, or they can switch formation to a four-three-three, bring in another central midfielder. That's a bit more creative. Uh, we don't know what exactly Chris Henderson's going to do, but I, I agree with Austin that they should look into bringing another uh, designated player to, um, you know, re- Be that X factor because Pizarro, he wasn't, he wasn't that creative type, and we saw on the pitch that, you know, how many times did him and and Iguain just clash heads because, uh, you know, Pizarro maybe wanted to drop deep when you know Iguain wanted to go forward and and vice versa. So, um, this next spot it'll it'll be a, you know, it'll be a guy that you know, three four years down the line you can really you know build upon, you know. Uh, look at Gregory last season. I believe they signed him to a five-year contract. He's going to stay not only the duration of the, the sanctions, but, you know, um, into the future where they can basically have a, a real good spine of, of the squad. So, and we see these uh, recent signings, which we will touch on later, that um, they're definitely similar in, in type. They, you know, last season, it remind me you know, injuries were such an issue, they barely had any depth. So we see guys like Mo Adams and Ariel Lassiter and, you know, Bryce Duke coming in, you know, these are guys that can give you significant minutes, but, you know, can also come off the bench when needed to. So, um, but if Intermime want to be competitive, they should, you know, certainly look into bringing a DP. Will they do it? You know, that's up to Chris Henderson the front office. I know there's two weeks till training camp starts, and I know that Neville probably wants all his players in um you know at the first whistle so um yeah it's good. Uh, these next couple of weeks are are definitely going to be hectic and um you know all those uh questions that we raised will be answered within uh the next couple of weeks or two
0: yeah i guess i just i i hesitate to think given the cap situation and given the the sanctions that are upcoming i i guess i just I hesitate to, to wonder if you even just, just go ahead. You have one more year of Matuidi, you have one more year of Iguayin and, and and I just, I don't know if it's necessary to to sort of, you know, start, maybe just start to bridge that gap and, and think about what the future is going to hold. This is obviously going to be the toughest of the two years uh, that they're going to deal with. So... Um, I I guess I just wonder if you even wind up worrying about filling that third designated player spot after this. Let's talk about the sanctions. Uh, Inter Miami earlier uh, in the winter traded Lewis Morgan, started every match for the club fan favorite, uh, was in the, you know, supporter section every game. Uh, And and really was a a heart and soul guy of of the club traded to New York Red Bulls for $1.2 million in allocation money, which uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar with MLS and and Tam Gam allocation money trades, that's a heck of a haul, Uh, especially for a guy that regressed in 2021 compared to what he was in 2020. So. A very good job, in my opinion, uh, from the front office to be able to get that sort of level. Uh, I I mean, I I think, uh, you know, sources told me earlier in the offseason that they maybe even taken half of that. Uh, So I I think that that the fact that they got that for him is is really impressive uh, and very exciting that they were able to, to get what they did for him. Let's talk about Lewis's impact on the first two years of Inter Miami. Obviously, we wish him the best—not too much of the best—that New York Red Bulls don't go beating us up. Uh, but, but uh, a wonderful guy, uh, always a pleasure to talk to. Um, a real, really, you know, had a, had his troubles figuring out that right wing back in 2021 had that trouble but was always a team player always willing to do what it was and let's just give him the the credit that he deserves and uh you know pay homage I don't I don't want to make this like his funeral or anything like that but whatever his time at at Inter Miami was and and what he meant to the start of this club because it was it was truly special
2: yeah it, it was it was really special i mean he not single-handedly got this team to the playoffs in their inaugural year, but he was the key factor in getting this team to the playoffs. He was the team MVP in 2020. And when you have a player like that who can make such a big impact, somebody who didn't, you know, nobody really expected to have that kind of impact when he first came in uh, to get this team to the playoffs, the, the good memories that he had in 2020, um, they'll never be forgotten. That's for sure that they're always going to be a huge part of this club. And as for 2021, you know, it it was evident that he did regress, you know, as a player, but he, he regressed in his position as well. He was dropping down more as a defender, but it, you know, what didn't go unnoticed was how much effort and passion he put into every single match that he played. And even though, he wasn't up to the same quality as he was in 2020. Fans noticed how much of an effort this guy put in uh, week in and week out. And I say week in and week out, and I don't hold that lightly because, like you said, Ian, he has started every single match in the club's history. And that is not something to be taken lightly. I don't know if there is a player uh, in MLS who has started for an expansion team for every single game in their first two seasons. Um, that's probably a number that you'd have to look up. I. I- It would be tough and it was over 50 games or around 50 games, if I'm not mistaken, and even that number alone um, is a lot to start in a row. So, you know, for Lewis Morgan, unfortunately, this trade had to happen. Uh, It's to get the allocation money back from the sanctions, but I think the trade uh, gives Lewis a lot of respect to like, it's showing a lot of respect to Lewis because this was the guy that Miami could actually get money for that was on the roster, especially within the league. I know there was probably a lot of interest for him within the league. And, you know, this, 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 this trade shows that he was, you know, a big, a big money player. He was, he was the guy that was worth the most on this roster in the first two seasons. And I mean, wishing him all the best, always a class act on and off the field. I'll always hold a memory uh in nashville after the three no playoff loss when we lost uh, he walked over to the fans took off his jersey gave it to a little girl and i've never seen someone smile so much in my entire life and she held that jersey so near and dear to her the entire time i'll never forget that um but yeah lewis morgan thanks for everything and i can say that for every single fan of this club and analyst and anybody who's just around the club everybody would love to say thank you i'm sure they already have and all the best in new york
0: and alex one one of the things that like really impressed me was that the club decided to send him to new york um and, and they had possibly rumored better options elsewhere um that that we've talked about uh and and the fact that they wanted to put him in a situation where he would be still in the, the limelight, still in that big market environment so that he can succeed, so that he can go on with his career, um, and, and so that he can have the, the best for what he wants to do in the future. You know, there are, let's make no qualms about it, there are big markets and small markets in the United States and New York is kind of, is as big as it gets so to to put him in a situation like that when i think that there were other opportunities where he could have gone to other places and 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 the club still goes and says thank you not only for everything that you did but also for what we want to see you do in the future as a representation of these first two years I think he's admirable of the club and also of Lewis.
1: Yeah, I think uh, him going to the Red Bulls will, uh, you know, do him a lot of good. You know, they're, it's probably better suited to their system than he would with Phil Meville. They play a really high tempo, high press style. They love to get in behind. They love to, you know, disrupt the opposition back line, you know, try to pounce on those loose balls. So, and that's basically Lewis's game. He lives off speed. He lives off of, you know, uh, Taking it off the dribble and beating his defender, so um, putting him in that situation will not only help him thrive, but maybe get back into the national team um, uh, discussions as well. So, um, like you said, um, there were pro- probably better offers at at smaller markets that they could have sent Lewis to for more money. But the fact that they send them, they sent him to uh, uh, New York, um, which you know, uh, in a in a good situation, it, it shows that you know, you know, Inter Miami, they, you know, t- they do care about their players and, and their future in their regard, even though if they're not still with the team, they want to put them in good situations where they can maybe succeed, maybe not too much. I mean, not against Inter Miami, but where they can still succeed and, and, and have a good career. I will say that um trading Lewis Morgana, I've seen, I've seen some fans complain about, you know, why did they trade their best winger, uh all that good stuff. Um, but Um Financially, Inter-Miami physically could not keep Lewis on this roster because he was just making too much money. It wasn't some sort of bait and switch where, you know, oh, they re-signed him so you guys can renew your season tickets in order to, you know, have good players that you like on here. No, it it was not that. Financially, because of the sanctions and due to Lewis's uh, um, transition into a, a TAM player, Miami could not financially keep him on this roster which is unfortunate this isn't wasn't some giant um you know plot to you know break the fans hearts it's it's simply a money issue if if you know the sanctions weren't there Lewis would probably still be on this roster so look you know look at Julian Carranza who we'll touch on later you know Julian was traded because you know he just took up too much money and uh, we'll touch on um him and Leandro Gonzalez for later Let's talk about it, yeah, Alex, because
0: yeah. okay. that, is, that is a very much a financial move. And and that sort of leads us through this whole almost era of Inter-Miami with Pizzato, with Pellegrini, with Lewis Morgan, and finally now with Julian Carranza, who was traded for a second round pick that is not very... Um, ceremoniously I would say in the <laughs> last, a second round pick typically does not uh make make your roster so uh traded to Philadelphia Union uh and I you know Carranza's a, a weird case study in scouting and in what he could be uh, always showed the physical tools to me always had the um the possibility to be something but never was the something. And so I, I guess I just wonder, like, giving him up for a second-round pick, this is no offense to anybody, but that's basically giving him up for free. It does save Inter-Miami a lot of money, uh, which, which is important when we're talking about the sanctions. But that's a sanctions move. The the Lewis thing is is sort of – how do we balance getting bang for our buck? The Pizarro thing is, oh, well, this was a locker room issue. The Carranza thing is just strictly by the book financials. And and so I, I guess I just wonder what you guys think about that is like that, that was the first one to me. That was the first domino to fall for me that said, hey, if the sanctions weren't here, he's probably back. But... The sanctions are here, so get this money off the books.
1: Yeah, I, I,
2: you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the Carranza. It It's, it's a tongue twister because I, I don't really know what to say about him. Like it, it was the physical tools, like you said, are there. It just never came to be, and the fact that they were spending so much money on just flat out potential and nothing on the field is not good enough, especially going into this sanction. Uh, time uh, in the next two seasons you absolutely could not have had that on the books and it is 1 million percent a sanctioned move if the sanctions weren't here do I think Carranza would still be here I'm not totally sure is that a project they're looking to write out you can't really you don't really know because the potential for you know Miami to have more money is all lost with the sanctions and if they had the more money, can they keep on risking to find the potential and bring it out of Carranza? Maybe that would have been an option, yes, with Higuain's contract running out at the end of the season. So there there are questions to be asked there, but obviously it's not the reality of the situation. And I actually want to touch on this move, not from just Miami's perspective, but from Philadelphia's perspective. Look, they're not a team that spends a ton of money on big money players. They they, they don't. And they like to build to the academy and they bring in all these young players from their academy, which they do so, so well at. Um, Brendan Aronson, for example, and his younger brother, both coming from the from the academy. I mean, they don't spend the money like they don't spend crons of money. And now that they're getting this guy just on a loan, just to see how it goes with an option to buy, just to see how it goes while his contract's either running out this year or at the end of the next season, it's a very low-risk, high-possible ceiling move for Philadelphia. And if it ends up working out, Miami fans don't get upset because we know that, you know, it did not work here. If it works in Philadelphia, I quite honestly wouldn't be surprised. However, I'm not going to put my money on. I'm not going to bet that it does happen. I just think that for Philadelphia, this is a move that showed, you know what, we're willing to take the risk on a young guy with a ton of potential who... You know, has had one really good game in MLS back in the MLS's back tournament, and that that's about it. But it, I think that from Philadelphia's standpoint, this is a very quality move, and I think that maybe they don't don't end up happy with him, but at the end of the day, is it really going to hurt them? Because they're going to stick to their own philosophy, and they're going to stick building through the academy. If it doesn't work, then Carranza's on the bench, and it's just as simple as that. Um, and it's not like they were going to use that money elsewhere, I don't think so. Good luck to Carranza. Good luck to Philly. Hopefully, it does work out for you guys, but I don't think that Miami's really going to be missing Julian in the $750 plus thousand dollars they were spending on his salary and the transfer fee as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I think with Carranza, a change of scenery you can do him some good. You know, sometimes it just takes a player moving clubs to unlock their full potential. So, you know, if he doesn't, you know, if he didn't perform for Inter Miami, if, if he goes up to Philly and, you know, does well there, you can't really you know blame the guy you know so um, he does have talent but you know it just didn't really work out for him uh in miami
0: guys let's move on the last major name that has sort of been linked right now um lgp uh heading to argentina to river plate as rumor would suggest uh nothing definitive yet um there was always sort of the feeling that one of LGP or FIGAL was going to leave, not both, maybe one. So this would maybe indicate that LGP is the guy uh, that's heading back to Argentina. Um, I liked his play. I thought that it was, it, that it was a, a good option to keep him um, a little disappointed to see. I think he's a very talented especially specifically MLS player. Um, We'll see what the haul is for him. He's obviously also, as we talk about the sanctions, taking up some uh, general allocation money. So that would be lifted off of the books. Uh, But the transfer fee would not necessarily affect that uh, as much as some of the other moves that have been made uh, uh, inter-MLS or intra-MLS as they go. Just what LGP has done, what, what hole does that create? Um, we're hoping that Ime Mabika winds up being that sort of Christian McCoon had an, uh, you know, a really great season last year. Figal has been able to play that sort of right center back at times. Uh, so just what LGP's loss or, or uh, transfer would mean for the club in 2022.
2: I think us having to speculate, you know, for a long time this season, we've done it multiple times, uh, having to speculate that one of LGP or FIGAL was going to leave always had that, that, that was the sanctions in the back of our minds saying, you know, what, one of these big money guys have to get off the books and you can't be spending money on 28 and 29 year old center backs who are making all of that, that allocation money um, outside of the the budget cap. So I, I think that we knew that this, one of this, one of these things were going to happen, I personally, I don't know about you guys. I was not expecting it to be LGP, um, and I know that there are those those ties to Argentina for him. But there were also we. I mean, we did a transfer talk video over on our YouTube channel earlier on in twenty twenty one about Figal to Tigres, and that was a huge thing that came out um, and was even touched on, I think, by the Miami Herald too. So there was there was rumors going on, you know, about fegal for the most part and now that these lgp ones have come up i personally i believe i don't know if you guys were on my side or not but i was an advocate to keep Figall and get rid of lgp if i had my choice just because he's got the year and a half advantage he's making a little bit more money um and lgp also set the record high mls yellow cards in a single season and you know losing him throughout those times not that Figall doesn't pick up his yellow cards uh but both both of them have very similar play styles I think that LGP is a lot more of a leader than Figal is uh, but at the same time I don't think that Figal needs to be a leader in that back line um, at, at, like right now I think that there's you know the, a guy in Gregory or somebody else that they bring in to play next to Gregory, they got in Jean Mota there, there are guys that can lead this team LGP would have been that leader however I think that there are other leaders on the team that can fill in that void uh, that LGP would you know be leaving with and i'm i'm not happy that i had to see one of lgp or fegal leave but i am happy that it has had to happen and it it is lgp over fegal uh but i I don't know if you guys are with me on that or not i I can't really remember so tell me
0: i i Uh... i'm a i was in lgp camp yeah i was in the lgp camp um, and, and that was strictly because I thought that they needed that, that number, that, that like center back that, that, that was really going to be there. And Figal was sort of going back and forth and we couldn't really figure out where he was. And there was the rumor that he was leaving, but I, I totally understand that point. And from a financial standpoint, it makes sense as well.
2: How quickly can we trust McCoon to be that, that, that center back?
0: Well, my, my worry is that McCoon is sort of like a, a left back that is playing as a left center back and Figal is like a right back that's sort of playing as a right center back and who's going to be the man in the middle that's going to hold it together. Because I saw, I, I, I loved that three at the back that, we, that was being played last year and, and they sort of both played well in that role but there, but there needs to be that one pivot, and so you're asking a lot of Mabika right off the bat if he's going to be the guy who's right in the middle playing that role.
2: No worries, Kelvin Leardum did it against Atlanta, Ian. We got, we can just bring him.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say that. Okay, so I do think that getting rid of uh, LGP is a good thing. I th- he was taking up a lot of money and. I've done, you know, tactical threads on um, Miami's many defensive mistakes uh, last season, and there were a couple times where LGP was just beaten off to the dribble. He wasn't quick enough to get back. You know, he misjudged the flight of a ball. You know, above his head, and he'll miss a header. You know, he'll pick up a stupid yellow card. He'll, he'll. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but the NYCFC game, one of the goals was directly because he played into. Uh, he tried to play a ball through, and it it didn't reach its, its intended target, and. I think it was Castellanos or someone picked it up and they ended up up scoring. That's not to say that Figal isn't mistake prone, but LGP, we've seen it so many times, him just get caught out of position, needless yellow cards, you know, and he's not quick enough to get back. And while I do believe he is a fantastic defender, and playing in that back three did hide a lot of those weaknesses with pace and whatnot. I think just solely because LGP is older, he's on a lot more money. Figalo is younger, and he does have a higher upside. And plus, I think they got rid of LGP solely because Christian McCune took that jump and was good, as good as um, he was last season. I think they felt comfortable enough getting rid of someone like LGP because McCune was so good, and he's on a significantly lower money. And we know that... You know, watching Christian, he is a starter. It's just really who's going to start next to him next season? Figal, Mabika. You know, there's Ian Frey. Uh, Shaw Cross is still up in the air. They've been linked to other center backs, but right now, I, I think this LGP move was solely because McCoon pr- uh progressed so well that they felt comfortable enough to saying, "Okay, this is our this McCoon is can be that guy for us heading into the future." Um, now, with um, with to Ian's point about that back three, I I, I don't know if you guys uh, were listening or or whatnot, but I I do believe Neville did say a couple of times that he was trying to like transition back to a back four. I'm sure they'll play a back three depending on the team, but um, you know that flat back four. I think you know we'll talk about the incoming players. You know they specifically they're they're bringing in players to play either a four three three four two three one. So. Um yeah, it's been an interesting off season so far. It's not over, but um, you know, outgoings like LGP, it you know, it gives a pretty pretty bit a pretty big indication to where this uh, roster and how this this roster is gonna, you know, shape up come February twenty sixth.
0: And you know, guys, like I, I don't think that they're necessarily done with their business of leaving. Um, and that, that's something that we'll keep an eye out on as we go through, as, as the transfer market starts to pick up as we start 2022. But I want to talk about who's coming in. Um, the team did sign real fast Victor Uoa. Um, they, they declined the contract and then re signed him to a different deal. We'll, we'll see what, what the numbers are on that. Uh, but the big one so far, Gene Mota from, uh, from Santos in Brazil. Uh, signed until 2024, and uh, definitely set the tone for a lot of the other moves that we're going to get into in a sec on everything that they are uh, uh, about to do. A lot quicker of a pace, a lot more aggressive of a, a, um, just the pacier action. They want to play more on the floor, less of those diagonal balls that we talked so much about last year. More on the ground, more quick, more one touch and turn, more more go, more width. Let's progress. And uh, he really started to set the tone. I, I was impressed with watching him in the Brazilian league. I have a, I have a good buddy who uh, is a Grêmio fan, so I get to watch him every now and then. Uh, so I, so I got to watch him, and uh, a very very quick and, and and Brazilian tiki-taka sort of style, Alex. That that I think is is uh, indicative of a lot of the players that they've started to bring in.
1: Yeah, John Mata. I know I did a, a you know a tactical breakdown on him, and I know Santos fans were kind of jumping on me for saying, "Oh, he's bad, yada yada." But you know, like I said earlier about Caranza, sometimes players just need a change of scenery to fulfill their their full potential. Now with John Mata, <laughs> this move is directly because you know Matuidi has just. We've, we've talked about it so many times on this show. Matuidi is just, you know, he's getting older and he's regressing. So bringing in another left-footed uh, center midfielder who can play as a left back, you know, if need be, but he is a central midfielder by trade, you know, it, it shows that versatility that, you know, um, you know, inter-Miami likes and, and players, you know, look at guys like Fatih who could play pretty much uh, anywhere you ask him, um, you know, guys, inter-Miami love guys like that. So bring in Jean Mata to play as alongside uh, Gregory in a double pivot or a midfield three, it, it gives Miami more speed, more mobility, um, you know better vision in 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 Malta, and I I think he'll slot in seamlessly. You know a lot of guys who come from uh you know the Brazilian league to MLS it it, it it's it it well, of course it takes them a while to transition, but most of the time most of the time they end up uh doing well. So um yeah, it, it's a good signing, and it's a it's a signing that um it has Chris Anderson uh written all over it. You know he like he loves those guys who are you know low, you know low you know who can play above their salary level, basically, you know, he loves finding those diamonds in the rough that, you know, maybe don't get the most attention, but they have a high upside. So, um, yeah, like you said, all the acquisitions, acquisitions so far, they've been, um, uh, pretty indicative of what sort of playing style that Miami will, will, uh, you know, uh, Play out on the pitch, uh, going to next season. You don't, know, you know, you have guys like Ariel, Ariel Lasseter, who's a super pacey winger. Um, well, I believe.
0: Before we well, get into that, want to
1: quickly. Before we get into that, I, I oh, want yeah. be <laughs> to yeah. go there.
0: But before we do, I wanted to ask you, how well do you think he fits with Gregory?
1: Well, they're both Brazilian and, uh, well, I know that's not the only thing, but I do believe them, uh, Gregory and Mata, they've been uh, friends for a bit, so, and uh, that should work together, but uh, as far as playing styles go, um, Mata is definitely a guy that loves to have a shot on goal, he loves to get up there, he loves to score, he loves to distribute, and you know him being that box-to-box guy alongside Gregory, who was more of a defensive-minded, you know, screening that back four, making sure no attackers get past. It could be a really good, uh, you know, complementary uh, duo in in that regard. So, um, you know, you got that pure box-to-box, uh, central midfielder, and you got that pure destroyer DM and 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 Gregory. And you know, should Neville plays cards correctly, this could be a very um. Uh, dominant uh, duo in MLS uh, if they I manage to get the tactics right.
2: I I was just going to bring up the point this point about Gregory. When I saw his tape coming from Bahia, he, to me, was what we are now saying about Mota, who's someone who likes to go forward, get a shot on goal from time to time, but that was because there was probably another midfielder back in Brazil with him that could cover him. Matuidi was never that guy. Uyo was never that guy. And Gregory was, you know, delegated these defensive duties and not that he isn't a great defender. We we saw the number of pressures he made this year. I think he was up for the most in MLS the tackles, the interceptions, everything like that. An amazing defender. But something about this gene Monte's signing to me is saying that you know what? Phil Neville wants some more versatile midfield, another guy that he can rely on if the ball exactly, exactly. That that's the exact hand movement that that explains what I'm trying to say perfectly. If Gregory wants to go up, Gene Monte, can have a little reliability because I think there was times where he played left back down in Brazil as well. So he has a defensive uh, mindset to be a cover guy, be a cover guy for a midfielder who wants to go forward in a double pivot. I think that it could work out really well. Um, I'm just hoping – I think that Gregory was more of a a splash signing that everybody knew was going to be good. This one is, uh, all right, we we have the potential. Let's see if it works out. I I think that, you know – if Gene Mota isn't a starter right off the bat, that's okay. If he comes into his own, that's a good thing. I think they should give him time. But for right now, looking at the other midfield you know, players for Inter Miami, it looks like Gene Mota is the guy. They just need to get somebody in behind him that if he does have these, these let's hope not Matuidi moments where things go out of hand, we, we need some depth in the midfield.
0: My question is, Is that too easy to game plan against? I know I'm getting ahead of myself on this, but like, we know what the. When you see Mota and Gregory together, like their style of play, we all know what this is good, like how this is going to go and what this is. Is it too simple? Is it too easy for MLS teams around the league to just go, hey, we know how these guys are going to play?
2: Mm. Uh, I mean I I would say this a a really good double pivot in the midfield with maybe a number 10 playing just above them could be very hard to game plan against even if you know what's coming I think that if they have if they bring in a third midfielder that that actually unlocks the offense like the way they want it to be unlocked you have multiple points of attack you have the, the speedy wingers on the wing you have the number 10 who can create and play make for a guy like Gonzalo Higuain and you have the sometimes coming up midfielder who is a box-to-box guy, I think that if you have multiple points of attack and not like just a direct style that we saw last year where it was basically let's let's, dia- let's send diagonal balls, try and switch to play, things like that, it becomes harder to plan against when you have multiple points of entry onto goal. Um, and I'm not saying that Gene Mota is the answer to all of Inter-Miami's offensive problems, but I think he's starting to solve some of the problems that they've had in the last two seasons and say, look, we need to have a balance for our front you know, five players in order to get better attempts on goal.
1: I think with a 4-2-3-1, if that's what Intermime is going to play, I think that's a formation where you want to have overloads on of certain sides when you're attacking the opposition so let's say Miami's attacking down that right hand side and Gregory's playing that right hand side basically the left side of that formation will basically tuck and be that defensive uh cover should you know the opposition uh you know get on a break so let's say you know the right hand side they're trying to you know, penetrate that um, uh, final line of the opposition. You know, they're trying to break quickly. You know, that's something where they can go and the left half of that, of the formation stays. So that would be Jean Mata, Kieran Gibbs, you know, McCoon playing on that left-hand side. On their right-hand side, I don't know who's going to start at right wing. You know, going up top, you know, whoever the number 10 is and the right back, whoever's going to start there, they can go up, you know, play quickly. And they could still have that defensive, defensive shape with Jean Mata and Gregory, it, you know, you have two mobile double pivots who can play that shift of, you know, basically soccer one one. You stay, I go. You, you know, I stay, you I stay, you go. So, um, it could be very balanced if played uh correctly. But you know, as we saw with Inter Miami uh, in the periods last season, they just didn't have the personnel to have that balance because, like I said, Betwedy regressing not quick enough. You know, LGP out of position. You know, just a Pizarro playing as a striker instead of a creative number ten. They didn't really have that balance. So, uh, as the off season continues and they bring in more players that um, that fit that sort of style, I think uh, I think it'll be you know up to Neville to tweak the tactics just according to the team and uh, to the opposition and whatnot. And I think we'll see a, a far better <laughs> a far better balanced squad than we did all of uh, 2021.
0: Guys, let's talk about the other acquisitions. Uh, Aria Lasseter from Houston Dynamo for 100k in in general allocation money. Um, uh, Mo Adams from Atlanta United for uh, Dylan Casaniera, uh, Bryce Duke uh, a, as well, and and a very quick pacey guy from LAFC um, that that they all brought in. There seems to be a growing theme that that. Uh, Neville is doing last year we talked about the width and the spacing that they wanted to have, especially when implementing that three at the back that that was happening towards that run in the middle part of the year. This seems to be more of a traditional four two three one with guys that are going to angle you and go directly at you uh, and and with quickness, with pace, with speed uh, that that really wants to, be solidified at the back, strong in the midfield in that middle third, like you said, Austin, and then those other angles going directly towards goal with the spine. Uh, Phil talked about that at times last year when he was a little frustrated with the team's play. It seems like he's sort of starting to get players in the style of what he wants to do. So let's just talk for a minute. Any one of those three moves stand out to you. Personally, I like the Bryce move. I I, I loved his play last year, um, thought he played very well. Uh, and, and I like that, that it's a, a little bit more of added depth. We had a lot of issues that we talked about last year with uh, injuries and suspensions and hardships and call-ups and this and that and the other um any any of those or all of those that stick out to you
2: yeah i don't necessarily have much to say on these three guys individually um i do have to do a little bit more research but what like you were saying and what it does tell me is that you know Miami and Phil Neville are going to want a certain style and depth is in, depth is really important in terms of implementing a style because if the injuries and suspensions and international breaks all this stuff comes into play during any time during the season You have to have guys that are able to fill the role and not have to switch your formation based on your personnel. If you have guys that are going to fit your personnel from player number one to player number 23, you can just plug and play, plug and play, plug and play. We're not going to see shifting starting 11s from time to time like we did all of 2020 and all of 2021. I think consistency is going to be really key for Miami in 2022. If they keep on bringing in guys like the Lassiters and the Adams and the Dukes who are quick and versatile players and you can all fit them into the same style that you're trying to build here in South Florida, that could be a key to winning matches down the stretch and also early on.
0: And I think that Phil, I I don't know this, I haven't talked to him about this, but I think that he was annoyed by the, the, the rules, like learning the rules of uh MLS and and being able to to have players when when all of that was going and they were struggling to just get 16 players onto the field I I think that he was a little you could kind of see it on his face that he was getting a little frustrated that that any that all of this was happening so I think that these are they're important moves for for that should that happen next year
1: yeah, I, I like the Bryce Duke move in as as well. I think he's a really talented young player. I you know, he's quick, you know, he can play, you know, on the wing on uh, and central midfield. Um he he's you know, excellent at pressuring. He's just, you know, he'll tackle almost anything and, and you know, he's a type of guy that um, could maybe slot in at the 10, ha- you know, should Inter Miami have, you know, suspension trouble or whatnot. And I will like to say, I want to point out Mo Adams, uh, uh, for one. He is a guy that can play as right back, can play as a central midfielder and a DM. And that's a-, a common theme with Inter Miami. They love these versatile players that can play in multiple positions. So, look, Jamata, Mo Adams. um, I'm sure they'll bring in more, but um, you know, because we saw last even right? Yeah, they're all
0: sort of similar type of 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 like Swiss Army knife players.
1: Yeah, and that's important to have in MLS, where you know travel, you know heat, cold, you know just you know what uh, I think Inter me they're going to play away to Seattle for the first time. I think it's going to be such a like a long journey. Of course, they're going to need some help and, and depth and. You know, that's how you win an MLS. You win by having, you know, good, you know, backup players. You know, it's it's such an a physical physically unforgiving league that you you have to rely on, you know, that you know, that um that second guy up, that third guy up, because, you know, Gregory's not going to be able to play every game. Jean Mata's not going to be able to play every game. Christian McCune, he'll get called up to Venezuela. He won't be able to play every game. So you you need those guys like the Mo Adams and the Lassiters and the Bryce Dukes to, to fill in when your starters aren't always available.
0: Guys, I want to move on to the rest of free agency because, like Alex, you said, Phil probably wants his roster at least – not not necessarily set, but at least more of an, an indication of what this roster is going to look like by January 17th or January 16th. Um, and, and, you know, this was one of the best free agent classes in MLS history. MLS free agency is very new to the league. Uh, it varied from year to year. This is now a, a little more of a formality of a process uh, that it goes through now. But, you know, Maxi Morales re-signs with New York City. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos was available. He goes, he's off the market. Uh, so some of the big name guys are starting to get pulled. There's still some big names out there. Is there any name that sort of jumped out to you to say, hey, this would make a lot of sense for Inter Miami to have. Like, I, I, I could really see this person Maybe not necessarily as a starter, but like a Fernando Adi who could who could make a an impact on on the team next year in terms of depth. Is there any sort of guy that you guys saw?
1: I I I think you know this is a loaded question because there are tons of um, uh, guys in MLS who are a bit you know journeymen and they can they can fill in in certain spots, but. Um, I think, you know, Kakuta Mané from, um I don't know, what was the last team he was on? I think it was Austin FC. You know it was yeah. Austin, yeah, yeah, from Minnesota, so yeah. Is he a, a forward winger? He could, you know, come off the bench and provide that, you know, burst of speed in the last 20 minutes of games. You know, that could be helpful for Inter Miami. Should You know, if they're deadlocked 0-0 or they need a goal, they can bring on someone like Kakuta and you know, he could go and wreak havoc and uh, um, I would have to double check his salary, but he I don't think he was making that much either. So I think that would be a good shout for Inter Miami. You know, there's a lot of good options for them. I, I do think that, um, we touched on it earlier in the pod, but I, I would like for them to get another central midfielder. I, I, I do think Gregory is prone to yellow cards and I just, you know, the idea of Matuidi, you know, I don't know. I, I would just feel more comfortable with them getting another DM or central midfielder it could be a young uh, DM like a, a Bryce Duke or a, a, you know or what have you but I, I, they should go after another central midfielder um, I know Chris Henderson is you know scouring you know not only the globe but also other MLS teams to see you know who can fit into that but um, yeah Kakutamane Mane would, I, I he would definitely be my pick and I do think that um, they, they need another winger I don't know if that's through the draft free agency or they're going to bring someone in but um, there have been some reports about you know ex-TFC player Erickson Gallardo who didn't really you know he didn't really uh, you know, pan out for them he needs a change of scenery he's also one of those quick wingers like Ariel Lassiter so um, that could be another option for Inter Miami over there too.
2: Uh, I'm not looking too far outside of Miami for this free agent thing. I'm looking right at Breck Shea, and I know that MLS, I think, listed them as uh, listed him as Dane Shea. If anybody saw the list, uh, but no, I'm I'm re- I'm genuinely looking at Breck Shea, and I don't mean to be like this funny meme guy about Breck Shea. I think that there were times last year and in 2020 where he came and was that depth piece that we were talking about, and he's also that versatile guy that can play multiple positions and do multiple things on the field that you know, Phil Neville may want on the left side of the pitch if things are to go wrong. I'm not saying that, uh, that Breck Shea should be a starter. I'm not saying that Breck Shea should get more than, let's say, 500 minutes, but like Breck Shea is a guy that you can rely on at any point in the season, it seems like, and he's been healthy for a lot of the time since coming back from his injury after signing for Fort Lauderdale. He's been healthy and available and ready, and that's like the number one key to being an MLS player is being available. And Breck Shea is available. I think that he would be extremely cheap. He might not even break the top 20 in terms of salary if you're really thinking about it. So it wouldn't even go towards the budget for me. Breck Shea is a guy I think that they should bring back because he, he can provide depth in ways that a lot of players can't necessarily. He provides um, stability. He provides reliability. And I think uh, for, for him being a probable cheap player, it's a really good option for Miami to, to look at. And no, don't look too far outside of it because I know you need better starters. I know you need to improve that starting 11. Uh, but there's a guy that you know and there's a guy that a lot of fans love around the league, especially now in Miami, in Breck And I know that he's set up here with his family. He's going to school here, everything like that. I'm sure he'd want the move as well. And I think that you'd be able to get a bargain for him.
0: Alex, let's talk real fast. MLS Super Draft coming up. Enter uh, Miami has the ninth overall pick. Uh, an MLS mock draft came out uh, earlier this week. Said Sofian Jafal, the the midfielder, like you mentioned, they were looking for from Oregon State. Um, probably the, uh, the the consensus that I would probably think that's just like a kind of a smart pick. Uh, I I like Farai Mwatu from Michigan State, a, a very tall or very uh, sorry, a very like quick uh forward that 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 wants to kind of get in that like marcus rashford type uh sort of player um i, I think if uh oseni Buddha falls to them then that that's a dream scenario i i really i wonder how his combine goes uh you know we sort of don't know a lot of this stuff with with covid protocols uh like we normally do and with the combine not being down here in South Florida, used to be in Fort Lauderdale. So uh, we don't normally get to see these guys as much anymore. Uh, I would love Buddha personally. He would be, if, if Inter Miami had the number one pick, he would be my guy. Um, but we'll, we'll see. He, there, there's talk that he might be falling down the draft board. Um, is there any name of those or any others that jump off the the, the list for you?
1: Yeah, I think Miami should shouldn't draft the best player available that falls to him. I think they should go after a need. So, um, like you said, Oseni Buda, I think he's a great talent. You know, winger out of uh, Stanford. I think he'd be a good pick. I don't know if he'll fall that far. I I don't know. You know, the draft is so unpredictable. You, you never know what you're going to get. But I, I do like the Sophia and Jafal um move. I think I, I was watching some of his his clips earlier, and I think he he looks. The most like plug and play pro ready out of all of these 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 guys, I think if you know he's he's like he is the prototypical number ten. He can score, he can set up. He's very crafty. He's good on the ball. Um That being said, I do believe he'll take up an international roster spot. But I do think you know uh, between Caranza leaving and and Pizarro, I don't know if that opens up one or maybe they'll have to trade for one. But uh, it doesn't knows, really but,
0: matter though. They don't, yeah. they don't have a lot. It doesn't really matter.
1: Okay. So yeah, like Default, I think he'd be a great pick. I think Miami should either a central midfielder or a, a winger. Cause I know, I don't know, you know, I don't know if Josh Penn is coming back. They really whiffed on him. They drafted him, what, number nine last, last year, or number eight. And he just, he just didn't get on at all. And it's unfortunate because he does have some talent, but you know it just didn't work out really. But yeah, either they uh, Miami should go after a, a winger or a central midfielder. I would be okay with either Jafal or or Buda because they're both great players. But like you said, Ian, you know this draft is so unpredictable. People can fall. People can you know maybe not be there when Miami picks at nine. So. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for this draft. I know people love to throw it away, but you can find diamonds in the rough in, in this draft. I know, look at Jack Mayer from was it two years ago. He's now a starter for Nashville. You know, Daryl DK was the most famous one. He just recently left to West Brom. You know, Henry Kessler, I believe he was drafted a couple years ago and he's uh, a mainstay for uh, the Revs. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm just intrigued to see who Miami picks because I do think they'll take Uh, a position of need and not necessarily the best player that's available uh, for them.
2: Yeah, I want to touch on like kind of Miami's draft history really quick, because going into this season, I think things definitely have to change. We took Robbie Robinson at number one overall, and we know where that has led us at the end of 2021 going into 2022. Uh, You took Dylan Nealis, who you traded away to Nashville for for allocation money. Uh, And then in last year's draft, you had Josh Penn at number nine, right? You also had Mabika down I think 26 was the number if I'm not mistaken or 24 around in the 20s Um, and that was the guy that that now we are you know high where he's getting into the first team and it looks like he's going to get significant minutes in 2022 but they also traded for the number 10 pick in that first 2020 draft in Patrick Segrist and that didn't work out much like Josh Penn didn't work out. They went on the same path after joining Miami, went out on loan to a USL championship side, and just didn't impress enough for Neville to try and get them to come back. So I I don't know if you're necessarily looking for plug-and-play right now, but I think if you are you know, a player who does get drafted by Inter Miami, that's probably what they're looking for. They're looking for plug-and-play and, and ready-to-play guys because they're not, there's not much time to work on experiments for 20- 20 and 21-year-olds they're looking at the academy for those kinds of experiments and they're not looking at that draft prospect for those kinds of experiments. So I I'm thinking that they need a plug and play player. They'll go for a plug and play player. um, And they're not necessarily going for the experiment types. And hopefully they, they get somebody whether it's at number nine or later, Oh, well they traded away, I guess it's when the second round pick, but um, if they acquire anything or something that you're just hoping that it can be a guy like Mabika who we found and can plug in a year later after being drafted.
0: Guys, yep. we've talked players for nearly an hour. Let's talk games. We have a schedule, and how exciting it's going to be! Uh, just gonna read some some news and notes from it. Uh, very exciting that this year uh, only only two midweek matchups, and and that's really exciting. Eleven Saturday matchups at home, four Sunday matchups at home. That, that that's just in the home schedule. Uh, that they're going to have. Again, the way that the MLS schedule works is you're going to play home and away against the other 13 Eastern Conference teams, and then you're going to play four home games and four away games against uh, eight of the Western 14 Western Conference teams. Those teams are going to be Austin, Dallas, Houston, LAFC, Minnesota for the first time, uh, Portland again, is going to make their first trip to South Florida earthquakes for the first time. And the furthest trip that inter Miami will have made 3000 miles away to Seattle Sounders inter Miami has seven matchups on national television, three on ESPN, one on ESPN, two, one on FS one, one on Univision and one on Unimas. Uh, So definitely, uh, you know, having that many national games, uh, we're, we're accustomed to it, uh, love our local broadcasters as well, uh, but it will be an exciting opportunity to, uh, to, to get a, that national platform that they'll have. Um, the thing that, that really stuck out to me was the lack of midweek games that this past year wound up being a a very difficult challenge. Those multiple three-game weeks where you had a Sunday game, a Wednesday game, a Saturday game. It happened, I think, two or three times throughout the course of the week. No longer uh, really a a much more normal calendar uh, with the upcoming World Cup in Qatar. I think that that will be helpful for the U.S. men's national team as well. Just like a little side note to insert in on that. Uh, but your highlights from the schedule that you saw on the game that you're most looking forward to.
2: Actually, this one might surprise you a little bit, but I am so excited to get out to San Jose. That is a place that I've never been before. Uh, I would say Seattle, but I was in the Pacific Northwest for the Portland game. And I I look at these schedules and just personally, the, the fan inside of me looks for one really good away trip and Seattle would be the one if it didn't fall on Easter weekend. Uh, but the San Jose one in August, yes, it might be a little hot, but getting to go to the Bay area around that time, I think would be a really good trip for any fans that want to make it out, but also San Jose, a team that you mentioned, we have not played before. I believe Wondolowski retired, so we wouldn't get to see him. Uh, but they're, they are an enticing team. Uh, Cade Cowell for one is a player that I I look for young players. I like to watch for, especially on the U S men's national team radar, uh so I'm I'm looking forward to the away trip to San Jose personally.
1: Yeah, and I have to say um Austin away and Charlotte away. I think those are, you know, of course, in Charlotte's case, they're the newest expansion side. Uh, you know, North Carolina, it's a great state. Um, you know, I've been there multiple times. I have family up there. Um, maybe I can get to that game. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Charlotte away. I know every expansion team that has come after Inter-Miami, I've been curious to see, you know, how they've transitioned to the league. I know Inter-Miami's loss was a bit of a mess. So I always compare them to Inter-Miami and what Inter-Miami could have done differently, what they these teams have done differently so charlotte is one of them austin fc um i've I've been following them since their inception they've got a really interesting squad there's a couple players on there that i've talked about and we've all talked about you know you know wanting to you know bring them here to miami you know alex alex ring (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not, Alex Ring is one money, of them. Not for DP money. Oh, not for DP money. True, true, <laughs> true. Austin did just sign him to a new DP contract, so not for DP money. John Gallagher is one of them, but I think he's happy there at Austin. But, um, yeah, Austin FC and, and Charlotte, I, those are the two games I'm really looking forward to. And, of course, Seattle away. Uh, Seattle um, you know um, it's always been I think it's even before Miami came into the league I, I think I would automatically turn on Seattle matches because because I I just liked you know their soccer and their jerseys were cool so um, I loved watching them and you know of course the derby match uh, against Orlando Orlando have had a bunch of outgoings you know DK's gone Mueller's gone Nani's gone so they're they're gonna have to retool and you know you know, maybe they'll be better, maybe they'll be weaker, we don't know, but, you know, the derby matches are always ones that, you know, the fans and, you know, writers and journalists that cover the team, it's always an exciting one, because, you know, it's a natural rivalry there, and um, this year should definitely be in- intriguing, so, um, yeah.
0: Alex, you stole my three games, I had three games that I was going to talk about. <laughs> Did and I really? stole all three of them, Lost <laughs> it away. Charlotte as an expansion away. And we actually get Orlando away on a weekend.
1: Wow. On oh, July
0: 4th. Oh. We- the weekend after July 4th. That is a Saturday game. It was a Friday game this year. We oh, had MLS's wow. back. We had all of that nonsense. And we actually this year get a proper Saturday Orlando away game. And I am so unbelievably excited about that the other thing that everybody every single person listening to this podcast every single person involved in this podcast is thrilled about guys we have pink jerseys it's happening i feel like that like that meme it's happening Pink jerseys, finally. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, They they haven't been released yet, to to my knowledge at least. I've been a little out of the loop. But it's been announced that the team's going to have pink uh, kits this year. And I've never been so happy about a kit before. Alex, you texted me earlier today about Tottenham's kit because I'm a Tottenham fan as well. Um and and their cool jerseys, but like I I was so excited the fact that this team is finally going to be represented by its color that the herons will come out in pink. It, it's it's weird to just feel that way and want to express that, um and and just have that excitement. What was your initial thought when you heard that the that there was finally going to be pink kits in 2022?
1: a joy, you know, it was just, it was, uh, it was just long overdue. I don't know what they were thinking with going with this hair and white thing. Uh, I don't know. I know maybe they wanted to go like, you know, back and play for Real Madrid. Maybe they wanted to go with the Royal white thing, but you know, it's, it's Miami you needed to, you needed to have that pink kit and it's, and not the clear pink that they had, uh, earlier in, in, um, in their, like, in 2022, they had this really clear pink that looked almost white on TV. Now, this is going to be a, a darker pink that is, you know, very visibly pink, an all pink kit, and, yeah, it's, it was just a matter of time, uh, it also, you know, like, I don't know if they're going to pair it with, like, dark shorts or pink shorts, but we could have an all pink kit, you know, with the, the shorts and socks, too, so, Um, instantly one of the more recognizable brands in MLS MLS if that happens. But yeah, I was just, I was excited. And um, I even went looking for like Adidas templates, you know, how they have like templates for jerseys. I was looking to see, you know, if they had like pink templates, but I couldn't really find anything. So yeah, it's definitely going to be a surprise. I don't know. We did see some, you know, like heartbeats in the back, which could be an indication of the uh, what do you call it? Like the, the the, the, the details, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that Jersey launch.
0: Well, Austin, I have the practice pink kit because the practice one was always pink. So I, I, I have that one that I wear, but, um, I, I just, the fact that it's going to be on like, like the pink and black, you know, that there's that, that chance you know, oh pink and black, pink and black, pink and black, black the the the, the um uh fans chance the fact that that the, that's they're actually gonna come out in the pink and black is so cool.
2: Yeah, I think that the fans deserve it. I, I honestly and I think that the club recognized that the fans deserve something like this to happen. They've been calling for it. I'm not even going to say for two years, for longer than two years, because when the club was first announced, I thought that that was probably the idea that everybody was going to have was a pink home kit when the logo was announced. So I think the fans deserve it. I, I think we at the Heron Outlet deserve it. And I know, I mean, we're all super excited about just a pink kit, which is crazy, just the home kit. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be awesome, hopefully. And I, it's going to be so recognizable, like you said, Alex, and I'm sure that that's something that – you know, is behind the idea. And you did mention that little heartbeat thing. I saw that that was a big, like, in all the branding and the marketing that they've been doing behind the kit, you see these little heartbeats and they keep saying it's the heartbeat, the fans are the heartbeat of the club. And so I'm assuming there will be some kind of pattern. We know that they like to do those little tiny patterns inside the jersey. I believe, you know, well, there was La Palma Right. And then there was also, I think in the initial two kits, there were the actual like interior logos printed all over the kit, like with the little two Herons and the M or something. So maybe the heartbeat is the next thing. I think it work well, especially with maybe black XBTO like outline. I know they got a didn't they get a, a sleeve sponsor as well. Another like black print to put on there. So I think that this could be really, really, really slick. I hope they keep it pink and black. I'm sure they will keep it pink and then a way to be black. Um, and then they reverse the colors on both sides. So black with pink, pink with black. I think it could be awesome.
0: I'm I'm so excited for it. Guys, let's, uh, before we go, just talk about a couple of international friendlies that are going to come to Drive Pink Stadium. Uh, shout out to our producer, Andres, who uh, Colombia's. Taking on Honduras coming up on uh, January 16th, uh, upcoming, and uh, I, I hope that he'll be uh, wearing the the three colors And uh, I'll I'll be at the Canada Guatemala game supporting my azul y blanco um, Guatemalans, and so uh, just uh, the the you know just international football coming to. Uh, Drive Pink Stadium, always a good thing, something that, that the community deserves, something that we are always encouraging, um, the, the rich diversity of our uh, South Florida community and uh, the South Florida soccer community that we have, and the ability to just host these matchups. I think it's really a special thing for us.
2: Yeah, definitely agree. And the the first time I witnessed this was with the U.S. Men's national team game uh, that they had a while back where they scored a ton of goals. But then after that, I was actually more enticed by the Gold Cup qualifying matches um, that they had there. And I went to both of the Haiti games and the atmosphere in that stadium was just awesome. And, And I think that it could be like that for these two upcoming matches. Um, and it wasn't even just about like the Haiti games because they were playing three games in like in quick succession. So you saw fans leaving, a ton of fans leaving from the countries that were playing previously, a ton of fans coming in towards the end of matches for the next game coming. And the passion and the pride, the the diversity that's here, it brings all that passion and pride to Drive Pink to the soccer community in South Florida. I know that that's like something that Jorge Moss is huge on. So having these um international friendlies is just it's just showing that jorge mas does care and and hopefully i mean you know they can keep on doing things like this but i'm sure the the columbia game and the canada guatemala game would be just be an awesome time i'm hoping i get to go out but, but we'll see
0: well it's cool because they used to do those games at the old orange bowl those those gold cup games and the friendlies they used to do it at the old orange bowl then they did it at fiu and now, the fact that Inter Miami at Drive Pink Stadium is able to host this it's it's really an interesting way of connecting the club to the gateways of the Americas,
1: yeah, and I think that's a fitting for Miami. It's pretty much a gateway to you know Central and South America, so um yeah there I don't think there's any other you know better place in in the United States to host these games than than drive pink Stadium so Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Yeah, and I know this is, you know, it's four years out, but, you know, the U.S. will be hosting a World Cup in 2026, so this is like a mini sort of primer four years on. You know, eventually four years from now, we're going to have the biggest sporting event in the world, literally in our backyard. So World Cup fever. This year we have Qatar and four years we've got the U.S. So, Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited for international football to start coming back again. Uh, you know, consistently. I'm really excited for the U.S. and the World Cup, and yeah, these friendlies are just a like a primer to to all of that. So I'm I'm super excited.
0: Well, guys, it is good to be back. Happy New Year! A a World Cup year that we start and we will finish the year with, uh, as we are very excited, but a lot of Inter Miami talk that we will have here on the Heron Outlet in the beginning or in the interim throughout this 2022 year you can follow us on our youtube channel you can follow us on spotify apple google wherever you get your podcast uh, and uh, you know a lot of exciting stuff to come here in 2022 happy new year to both of you for our producer andres she is alex winley he is austin Robillard. i am ian hest and we will see you again this time next week